Hi there, and thank you once again for tuning in to the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. Now, what a week it's been. So many things to talk about, and I want to start off by giving a shout-out to a few listeners who've got in touch recently and have decided to start their Stoic journey after listening to last week's episode. Uh, the first one is Darren Wallace, who tagged us in a few posts in his socials during the week where he has ordered and just received some books, uh, namely The Daily Stoic, The Daily Stoic Journal, and Obstacle is Away, all books by Ryan Holiday. In fact, Obstacle is Away is the next book on my reading list, so hopefully, Darren, we can connect and you can let me know what you think of the book before I read it, which would be nice to have that discussion. The second person I want to shout out is Rich Pyle, all the way from Pittsfield in Massachusetts. He sent me across some video extracts of just him looking for further explanation on some of the points I made last week's episode. It was a good way to interact and to give some more feedback as well as connect and network as well. And he's actually just mentioned to me that he's going to look into reading and researching some more about the Stoic philosophy. And you know, it is such a real source of motivation to hear that others are feeling inspired by the miniseries. And I would urge anyone who listens either this week or who has listened in the past episodes to please get in touch and give me your feedback. Uh, it doesn't have to be in video form. It doesn't have to be in audio form. Just drop us a text uh, of, of a WhatsApp if you have my number. If not, you can find me on the socials. Uh, just to let me know how you're getting on and what you actually think of the series as well. Because like I said, it is a source of motivation, but it's also a way of us connecting and networking together and potentially creating a network where we can then question each other and we can question maybe some of the virtues and some of the teachings of the Stoic philosophy to give us all a real uh, deeper meaning, I suppose, and a deeper understanding of, of what it's trying to teach. So maybe you want to explore an idea in further detail. Maybe you've got a quote or a story that you want to explain or you've got an experience that you want to share. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, uh, it's always nice to connect, but to get you onto the pod as a, as a shout out next week and potentially then moving further forward, get some people on who want to share their experiences in audio form with me to add to the mini series as well. So I'm going to pick up just where we left off last week. As a recap, we looked at the life of Cleanthes, the second heir to the Stoic throne after Zeno had passed. Uh, but if we continue in chronological order, up next we catch up with the controversial figure of Aristo. Uh, he is pretty much known as the one who would be a challenger. He wasn't really one to conform to the pre-existing thoughts that Zeno and Cleanthes had put down before him. Uh, there's no such thing as a movement without disagreement. And after all, nothing that involves people does not involve differing opinions just as we'd seen last week with my own experience in episode 4. And Stoicism really is no different. Arist uh, Aristo, um, also known as Aristo the Bald, uh, was nicknamed the Siren uh, for his persuasive powers of his elegance that wooed audiences and some would say actually led them astray. A better name for Aristo, as I said previously, probably was the Challenger because he constantly questioned and undermined and disrupted much of the early Stoic doctrine. So like I said, there was things that he thought that slightly was misaligned with the thoughts and feelings of Zeno and Cleanthes. In fact, Aristo was a student of Cleanthes, just as Cleanthes was a student of Zeno. So you can see how that that order of, of control or that order of prevalence has came about because of them finding thought and finding meaning in the teachers before them. So... As I said, Aristo is a little bit different. Aristo's sticking point was that he believed that life was to be lived on big, clear principles that could be internalized 
by the wise, from training. Aristio would challenge the belief of Cleanthes and Zeno before him of the role of percepts. That is the practical guide to every decision that we make. Rules about how we act in marriage, how we raise children, how masters ought in those times treat their slaves, and what to do if your brother makes you angry. So all of those small nuances in life. He questioned them because Aristo has been quoted in saying that one has, one who has trained himself for a life as a whole does not need to be advised on the specifics. And essentially, what Aristo didn't want was some list of complicated categories by which life should be arranged. He didn't want to rank things in order of goodness or badness. He didn't want to consider grey areas or consult a book. He wanted it in black and white. He wanted to rely on his training and intuition to immediately know what to do in each situation. Now, it has been said that the Stoics of the time didn't really like his approach and the heated debates that he had with Cleanthes. In fact, I actually think that at one point they both wrote a book about each other um, and I believe there was a lot of shots fired and a lot of discontent and maybe hard feelings between the two of them. Uh, but what happened in those times was because Aristo was such a an outcast in terms of outlier in his views and his beliefs in the way that people should look at philosophy. So like I said, that like the Zeno and Cleanthes were more concerned about the small nuances of life and decisions that you make in those moments. Well, as Aristo was kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter what decisions you make in those lives. It's about, or in those little moments in life, it's about what your your view of life as a whole is. Do you have clear and defined principles that will allow you to navigate through life regardless of the situation you find yourself in? So he had a difference in his approach. I think he was quite um, forward and potentially uh, quite, what's the word, sort of demanding of people's attention when he was in, in their company. So the Stoics didn't like that. And it kind of goes a little bit against the Stoic virtue in many ways and the, ver- the Stoic teachings. But what they did was they played quite a cunning trick on Aristo just to prove to him, listen, you're not all what you say you are and your intuitions maybe are a little bit off. So what they done was they had two twins. I'm oh, sorry, they didn't have two twins. They had one set of twins. And they got one twin to come to Aristo with some money. And they said to him, can you please keep this money here for me and I will call back and collect it. So he did that. He, he took the money. He kept it safe. And then a few days later, uh, the other twin came back and Aristo gave the money to him. Obviously gave the money to the wrong twin. So when the Stoics at the time and the scribes around him told him of his mistake, he was left feeling embarrassed. His intuition had beat, had failed him at that moment in time. But that was a way of the Stoics at the time saying to him, listen, you might think that you don't need to think about the small nuances in life. You might think that you have all of the, the, the power and all of the knowledge and that your intuition will carry you through. But we've just proven to you that your intuition doesn't really carry you through. So he was left feeling embarrassed, like I said, a little bit belittled. And that didn't really put him off. He was still very hard, fast in his beliefs, and he lived the rest of his life in that in that vein. But it's kind of nice to get that contrast between what his thoughts were and what the thoughts of Zeno and Cleanthes were. Now, remember at the time when Aristo came about, there only was sort of Cleanthes and Zeno before him to have populated or, should I say, made this the Stoic philosophy more available to um, to the people around them. So it was just, it was still in its infancy, it was still growing. And to have someone challenge it at the very early stages, it must have been, it must have been for Cleanthes in particular because he was still around. It must have been for him a little bit of a personal jive, you know, this is something he's given his life to and then this person's coming along who essentially was his student and is now put in daggers in many ways. But as I say, it's good to get that different perspective. I want to pick up just on my journey then. I want to start 
with page 41 of the Daily Stoic dated February 1st, and it's titled The Hot-Headed Man. So Marcus Aurelius says, Keep this thought handy when you feel a fit of rage coming on. It's mainly to be... (sighs) So let's pick up my Stoic journey then, and we start on page 41 of the Daily Stoic, uh, dated February the 1st, and it's titled The Hot-Headed Man. Marcus Aurelius says, Keep this thought handy when you feel a fit of rage coming on. It isn't manly to be enraged. Rather, gentleness and civility are more human and therefore manlier. A real man doesn't give way to anger and discontent. And such a person has strength, courage and endurance. Unlike the angry and the complaining, the nearer a man comes to a calm mind, the closer he is to strength. Now, the ironic thing is that for anyone who knows me well or has known me for quite some time, uh, I can be what's described as thick and... Fr- and <laughs> for anyone who knows me well or has known me for quite some time, I can be quite thick and thran. <laughs> it's an expression that we use here in Northern Ireland, maybe in other parts of the world as well, to describe someone who may be stubborn. Now, I'm not stubborn to the point where I will not do something just to cause discontent to somebody else. It's more sort of my own thoughts and feelings, and if they don't align, then... You know, I will I will act purely for my own happiness in that moment because it's a protective mechanism, I think. But anyway, we're going to get into that a little bit more detail. So this goes way back for me. I mean, I remember being really young and being told this. And as I grew up, I'd hear it a few more times where I was stubborn. I was thick and thran that you know, there's no point trying to change Gary's mind. That's just the way he thinks. And that's that's the way it is. So that begs the question, then, is that a personality trait in me that's been developed through nurture rather than nature, so a cause of the environment and situation. <clears throat> is that a cause of the environment and situations and people that I find myself in? And when I think back long enough, uh, <laughs> I actually remember fighting twice as a child. So once outside the local news agents because someone had said something nasty to my brother, and a second time also to do with my brother, and he was actually the, the one that caused uh, caused the issues, and I was, seemed to be the one that swooped in and sorted them out, but um, maybe he was setting me up for a fall, I don't know, but Someone had stolen his skateboard, uh, so I scarred the estate looking for the culprit um, and got into a bit of a, a fisticuff and a fight there. But if you allow me to, to digress just a little bit and draw from the present day. So last week I spoke about the situation where I responded to someone commenting on my attitude. This week, um, innocently as it was, whilst trying to help someone, I said the word that is apparently forbidden in the world of retail, retail banking, and that is tax. No one likes to talk about tax for some reason, but... A customer was inquiring how he could how he could lodge a large sum of cash, and after further discussion, I inadvertently asked if tax had been paid on the money. Now, unbeknown to me, he would later approach the manager and explain he felt like he was being uh, investigated for tax evasion. But the fact is, it was a large sum of money. I was just trying to do as much as I can to help him understand where the money came from and maybe give him some advice in terms of how he could lodge it. Right. Obviously, I used a forbidden word, which brings me on to a completely different topic that I'll touch on, but uh, it may be a few episodes times, but that's the controllership of what you can and can't say. But anyway, um, we're not going to get into that just now, just yet. But in that moment, yeah, so I had innocently tried to help somebody and then all of a sudden they, well, they get offended. I don't know what it, what, what it was, but they didn't quite like that I used the word tax. So Anyway, getting back to my original story, it seems I have in the past failed to control my temper and I fight fire with fire um, and that's been something, again, that's been said to me loads and loads of times before. But that therefore begs the question, 
is it a healthy approach to have? I mean, as humans, we're hardwired to become defensive if we feel threatened or if someone in our tribe feels threatened. Uh, we heighten our sense of awareness and become vigilant to any impending danger. I think the key is being able to ascertain the threat level before evoking a response, right? So, you know, what's the situation in front of me? Am I going to die? If I'm going to die, then I've got to take extreme action. If someone comes to me and they're upset because of the actions of somebody else, it doesn't really mean I can go around with a baseball bat and do my thing, right? So context is key and understanding what response to, to give to that given situation is key. But I suppose when testosterone and everything else is running around the blood, that, that decision may be uh, scuppered or hindered at the time. Now, ironically, as a child, me and my brother, we didn't really see eye to eye most of the time, um, and we came to blow quite heavily um, a few times. In fact, we used to share a football net, and we used to drag it around all the, at the state, and it used to be a fight between us, literally a fist fight between us to see who could uh, take the, the goal around the estate so they can play football with their mates. But um, that urge to protect ourselves and others is 100% within us all because that's how we've been developed, right? That's from hunter-gatherer times, our sense of, of danger and impending danger. And that's why our ears perk up when we hear the slightest noise in the dark because we can't see it. So therefore, if we can't see it, we can't visualize it. If we can't visualize it, then we get a heightened sense of awareness to act just if that situation comes about that we have to act in, in a way that uh, saves our lives or the lives of somebody else. So although the tax situation above wasn't a provocative as the situation I encountered last week, it did make me think deeply. So here's an extract from my journal entry uh, from the 1st of February titled, How Can I Cope With My Temper? And again, it's a bit of a long one, so stick with me. It says, I do tend to fight fire with fire. Maybe I feel anger when challenged. But why? As of yet, I am unsure. Do I see it as a defense mechanism? I should remember that by showing anger... I am showing weakness that I am not in control of my emotions. I felt agitated this morning and I'm unaware why that was. Maybe it was a bad night's sleep or maybe I have a subconscious negative connection with my workplace. Nothing negative has happened, but do past experiences inform future expectations and predictions? How do I break the cycle and change the pattern of thoughts and behaviours? Do I remove myself fully and quit? Would this offset those negative feelings? Am I making excuses? Do I want out so bad that past experiences create a narrative that never existed? How did I manage to move my thoughts and feelings away from agitation? Well, I reminded myself that each day in there is a day closer to leaving. When I look back on that, um, which I did do this morning when writing this episode, I think there's a clear pattern to my thought process that the negative connections I have potentially with that workplace then produce negative emotional actions and behaviours. Um, and that's just a way of, of me putting down my thoughts on paper. I mean, I'm 100% honest with it. I don't leave nothing out. If I've got a thought, I've got a feeling, I'll leave people's names out, obviously. But if I've got a thought or a feeling, they go on a piece of paper. They help me then recognise if there's any patterns that are coming through. And that is quite one. But how I cope with my temper, that is the one that... I think I'm starting to get a grip with and this journaling and writing down my thoughts and feelings is definitely helping. So that leads us on then to the final part of this week's episode where we look at the thoughts and feelings of some of the Stoic philosophers and explanations uh, moving on from the last seven days. January 29th. Keep it simple. 
At every moment, keep a sturdy mind on the task at hand. As a Roman and a human being, doing with strict and simple dignity, affection, freedom and justice, giving yourself a break from all other considerations. You can do this if you approach each task as if it were your last, giving up every distraction, emotional subversion of reason and all drama, vanity and complaint over your fair share. You can see how mastery over a few things makes it possible to live an abundant and devote life. For if you keep watch over these things, the gods won't ask for more. Each day presents the chance to overthink things. What should I wear? Do they like me? Am I eating well enough? What's next for me in my life? Is my boss happy with my work? Today, let's focus just on what's in front of us. We'll follow the dictum of the New England Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, that gives his players one thing to do. That is, do your job. Like a Roman, like a good soldier, like a master of our own craft, we don't need to get lost in a thousand other distractions or in other people's business. Marcus says to approach each task as if it were your last. Because it very well could be. And even if it isn't, botching what's right in front of you doesn't help anything. Find clarity in the simplicity of doing your job today. January 30th. You don't have to stay on top of everything. If you wish to improve, be content to appear clueless or stupid in exonerous matters. Don't wish to seem knowledgeable. And if some regard you as important, distrust yourself. One of the most powerful things you can do as a human being in our hyper-connected 24-7 media-driven world is say, I don't know. Or more provocatively, I don't care. Most of society seems to have taken its commandment that one must know every single thing about every single current event, watch every episode of every critically acclaimed television series, follow the news religiously, and present themselves to others as an informed and worldly individual. But where is the evidence that this is actually necessary? Is it an obligation enforced by the police? Or is it that you're just afraid to seem silly at a dinner party? Yes, you owe it to your country and your family to know generally about events that may directly affect them. But that's about it. How much more time, energy and pure brain power would you have available if you drastically cut your media consumption? How much more rested and present would you feel if you were no longer excited and outraged by every scandal, breaking story and potential crisis, many of which never come to pass anyway? January 31st, Philosophy as Medicine of the Soul Don't return to philosophy as a taskmaster, but as a patient seeking out relief in treatment of sore eyes, or a dressing for a burn, or from an ointment. Regarding it in this way, you'll obey reason without putting it on display and rest easy in its care. The busier we get, the more we work and learn and read, the further we may drift. We get into a rhythm. We're making money, we're being active, and we're being stimulated and busy. It seems like everything is going well, but we drift further and further from philosophy. Eventually, this neglect will contribute to a problem. A stress builds up in our minds. They get cloudy. We forget what's important and result is an injury of some kind. When that happens, it's important that we tap the brakes. Put aside all momentum and the moment. Return to the regime and practice that we know that is rooted in clarity. Good judgment, good principles and good health. Stoicism is designed to be medicine for the soul. It relieves us of the vulnerabilities of modern life. It restores us with vigour. We need to thrive in life. Check in with it today and let it do its healing. 
As we've already discussed February the 1st in the main body of the episode, we're going to skip now to February the 2nd, a proper frame of mind. Frame your thoughts like this. You are an old person. You won't let yourself be enslaved by this any longer. No longer pulled like a puppet by every impulse. And you'll stop complaining about your present fortune or dreading the future. We resent the person who comes in and tries to boss us around. Don't tell me how to dress, how to think, how to do my job, how to live my life. This is because we are independent, self-sufficient people, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. Yet, if someone says something we disagree with, something inside us tells us we have to argue with them. If there's a plate of cookies in front of us, we have to eat them. If someone does something we dislike, we have to get mad about it. When something bad happens, we have to be sad, depressed or worried. But if something good happens, a few minutes later all of a sudden we're happy, excited and want more. We would never let another person jerk us around the way we let our impulses do. It's time we start seeing it that way. That we're not puppets that can be made to dance this way or that way just because we feel like it. We should be the ones in control, not our emotions, because we are independent, self-sufficient people. February 3rd, the source of your anxiety. When I see an anxious person, I ask myself, what do they want? For if a person wasn't wanting something outside of their control, why would they be stricken by anxiety? The anxious father, for example, worried about his children. What does he want? He wants a world that's safe. He friends a traveller. What does she want? For the weather to hold and for the traffic to part so she can make her flight. A nervous investor, for example. That the market will turn around and the investment will pay off. All of these scenarios hold the same thing in common. As Epictetus says, it's wanting something outside of our control. Getting worked up, getting excited, nervously pacing, these intense, pained and anxious moments show us at our most fertile and servile. Staring at the clock, at the ticker, at the next checkout lane, at the sky. It's as if we all belong to a religious cult that believes the gods of fate will only give us what we want if we sacrifice our peace of mind. Today, when you find yourself getting anxious, ask yourself, why are my insides twisted into knots? Am I in control here or is it my anxiety? And most important, is my anxiety doing me any good? February 4th, on being invincible. Who then is invincible? The one who cannot be upset by anything outside of their recent choice. Have you ever watched a seasoned pro handle the media? No question is too tough. No tone too pointed or insulting. They parry every blow with humour, poise and patience. Even when stung or provoked, they choose not to flinch or react. They're able to do this not only because of training and experience, but because they understand that reacting emotionally will only make the situation worse. The media is waiting for them to slip up, or for them to get upset. So, to successfully navigate press events, they have internalised the importance of keeping themselves under calm control. But it might be helpful, whatever stresses or frustrations or overloads that do come our way, to picture that image and use it as a model for dealing with them. Or reasoned choice. That is a kind of invincibility that we can cultivate. We can shrug off hostile attacks and breeze through pressure or problems. And, like our model, when we finish, we can point back at the crowd and say, Next. 